Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. afternoon's show will help you to kick the week off just right. Uh, we have Alexander Chechkovitz. Chechkovitz, but nice try. It, 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 uh, Almost. I, I, was, I had a little lesson no in Polish prior to the show. You know, trying to be a fast learner, got good dance kind of right. Not not doing too bad for early in the day. <laughs> but um, but he, Alexander is the author of Deja Vu, has everything already been. We'll be focusing on this amazing exploration of ancient mysteries this afternoon. And you can find out more about Alexander at, by going to his YouTube uh, site. You want to uh, spell it for the uh, listeners? You can go to the Global or the Polska. Mm-hmm. Alexander, uh, just give it Global. Okay, and that's spelled A L. E K S A N D E R C Z E S Z K I E W I C Z. Okay, and you uh, rewind the YouTube link to make sure that you get the proper spelling. But he has some great videos up there about Atlantis and who who were the 
humans first teachers, you know, a lot a lot of cool stuff that, you know, we cover on a regular basis. So um let's see, and you are calling or you know, we're talking to you from Gdansk, Poland. That's cool too. I don't think we've had any Polish guests. So it's groundbreaking show today. Okay. What um I enjoyed your depictions of ancient, advanced civilizations. Our listeners love that topic too. It's uh, a staple for us. Uh, You did a great job of digging into the history of these cultures. Um, What... Let's uh, just start at the beginning. Um, when did these advanced cultures begin, and why? So, go ahead and take it from from there. You did, looking forward to delving into Atlantis and all the other ones you, you got into. So, what what what? When are we starting your examination? Yes, I've been always fascinated at how exactly old is our history and especially when did the civilization start? And I've been always wondering, is it really all that is presented to us by the mainstream? Is it really all that just some 3,000 years BC, all of the civilizations started, whether it was ancient Egypt, ancient Sumer, or ancient India, or could it be that there was something before those civilizations? And then I started digging deeper and deeper, and I found out that anatomically modern humans, just as we today, maybe with some minor changes, because it is a long time, appeared on Earth between about 400,000 and 200,000 years ago. And when we think, okay, 200,000 years of the existence of anatomically modern humans, and now we are speaking of civilizations just 5,000 years ago, so to me, something was wrong. And I started digging deeper and deeper, and I found out that looking at the timeline, it turns out that for about 95, 96% of our existence, there was no progress. We were doing actually nothing. We were simple cavemen. We were hunter-gatherers, simple mm-hmm. nomads. And on, it was only during the Neolithic Revolution, about 10,000 years BC, that we started building settlements and that we started the uh, sedentary lifestyle. So looking at that timeline, I was very shocked because it was like we were doing nothing for most of our existence. And we know that evolution is a thing, especially when it comes to humans, that we are evolving all the time. We are doing new things. And I thought that there is something wrong with it. And I thought that just as 500 years ago, we thought that We came from biblical Adam and Eve just 6,000 years ago. We thought that the first civilizations were those of ancient Greece and ancient Rome. So I thought that what if nowadays we are in a similar situation, that we do not know everything about our past, and just as 
500 years ago, we thought that our civilization came from ancient Greece and Rome, and we actually at that time knew almost nothing about ancient Egypt and nothing about ancient Mesopotamia, despite the fact of having plenty of mentions of those civilizations. Even in the Bible, there is a mention that Abraham came from the Sumerian city of Ur. So I thought that nowadays there could be a similar situation, that we do not know everything about our history. There is a lot to discover, and all of those tales, like the tales of Atlantis, tales of Mu, tales of some Rama empire and other mythical kingdoms, mm -hmm. are considered by us just as mere myth, just as mere fantasy of our ancestors. But what if these stories, just like stories about two to three hundred years ago of Mesopotamia were taken as some fairy tales, could be the actual factual account of how our past really unfolded. So I started digging deeper and deeper, and I don't know exactly when did those civilizations start, but I know very well that there is something more to history than it is presented in the mainstream, because there is a huge gap in our history, actually two huge gaps, but let's consider the first gap. There is a huge okay. gap in our history according to the mainstream, during which nothing happened. So there is a long story of humankind, and there is a long story to our civilization, but I think that we do not know everything about it. We just haven't found everything. Mm -hmm. So what you, you know, do cover you know, are going way back in into deep antiquity with Sanskrit uh, texts like 31,000 mm -hmm. years ago. I, you know, that's way beyond what uh, most uh, mainstream people discuss for advanced cultures, you know, the rise of, of cities. What you know prompted some some of the the emergence of Atlantis, uh, some some of the other uh, you know really old sites that are, are you know, like Gobekli Tepe that are being found uh, you know, discovered. Uh, what we're <coughs> learning about them, um, you, you know, what caused them to become these advanced civilizations was mm -hmm. there a someone helping the people to evolve yes so there is a huge coincidence that just as Plato tells us that Atlantis existed about 9,000 years before Solon, so plus minus 9,600 years, mm -hmm. that it is a certain period during our geological history that was the end of the last ice age. And also there's another coincidence because it was not only the end of the last ice age, but also the start of the sedentary lifestyle, this switch from nomads, cavemen, hunter-gatherers into sedentary lifestyle, into first like first settlements, and then after thousands of years, first cities. And also, all around the world, we've got mentions that are telling us of some gods, 
of some heroes, of some demigods and other people that are teaching mankind to build that civilization. And I thought, just looking at the mainstream history, if for like 190,000 years we were doing nothing and suddenly we started creating settlements and started domesticating crops and animals, mm -hmm. could it be that it was all with the help of those teachers of mankind? And it wasn't just, you know, like some mythical tale about teachers of mankind, but all around the world we've got similar mentions, even the, there is the same number of people. Often these teachers are helping mankind after some catastrophe like the Great Flood. Also, those teachers have some similar things with them, like some mysterious handbags that can be found in ancient Mesopotamia, in Gobekli Tepe, or even in Mesoamerica. So I thought, was this transition from hunter-gatherers to settlements really just a coincidence? Or could it be that the, there were these lost civilizations like Atlantis at the end of the last ice age, and that ending of the last ice age led to some maybe massive floods because the glaciers were melting, so the water was coming out of them, and maybe these floodings actually flooded some land and actually destroyed some previous civilizations. We know in our history that most of the first civilizations were actually nearby some water. Was it some ocean? Was it some sea? So if Atlantis and other civilizations of that time were, for instance, at the coast, the r rising of the waters of the sea level could actually destroy them, could actually sink them. And mm -hmm. I thought it could be that those teachers were from those civilizations because those teachers were often more advanced than other people. And after sinking and after destruction of these civilizations, they helped other people that were in a primitive state build civilization or even rebuild it after the Great Flood. And we see such a narrative in many texts from all around the world. We see it in the Sumerian and Mesopotamian mythology. We see it in the Egyptian mythology. We see it in India and in many other parts of the world. Yeah, and in you know, one of your mm -hmm. uh, videos... Do you have any questions or shall no, I you, continue? Yeah, uh, no, in, in one of your uh, videos from... Wait, I, I was watching you. last night... Um, uh, okay, sorry, I cannot hear you for a moment. I will go to settings. Something okay. happened. Oh, now I hear you. Sorry. Okay, we're, we're fine. Mm -hmm. And what I was saying, in one of the videos uh, I was watching that you did, uh, you know, there the uh, the artwork from... Mm -hmm. You know, just say Samaria, you know, like, you know, the really ancient, uh, you know, first cities shows the fish people. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, were they coming from the rising waters, from the mm -hmm. glaciers melting yeah. that, you know, you just discuss, there is some kind of, seems like there would have to be some correlation between uh, people, uh, emerging from waters, so and you know we get that in uh, Robert Temple's book on uh, you know Sirius, uh, uh, 
and the uh, hat that the Pope wears. So the legacy of the artwork seems to present evidence that these aquatic uh, people were some of the original teachers. So I'm I'm agreeing with you that you know that sounds very plausible. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are lots of coincidences because, for instance. In Mesopotamia, there are the seven sages that are teaching oh. mankind after the flood, the Apkallu, and one of them is Oanes. And Oanes is this, is this person with some fish row. And even his name means something to do with water. And now, also in Mesopotamia, we had these handbags. That are <laughs> the those, handbags, yeah. Yes, the handbags theme, whatever it was. And again, we go to Mesoamerica at the other side of the world, and now we've got Uanna, Oannes, Uanna, very similar name, and Uanna means he who has his home in water. So again, that is a great similarity, and as we mentioned, in Mesoamerica, we also have this theme of the handbag. So I think that there is something more to that than just plain coincidence. Was it actually really a mission all over the world to teach humanity and rebuild civilization? Or maybe there are some connections between the ancient Sumeria and Mesoamerican civilizations. Maybe there were so like intercontinental travels during the ancient times. Who knows? Well, you also make the point in your book, Deja Vu, that... Uh, uh, constructed one of their cities based on Atlantis. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, ha you know, handbags. Uh, you have a similar layout of a city in you know, the, the concentric rings, mm -hmm. we're starting to see uh, a number of uh, designs emerging that it seems like a more of a pattern, you know, cultural interaction than just um, just write it off to mere coincidence. It, mm -hmm. it, it's just uh, uncannily similar. Mm -hmm. Yes. When it comes to the city you mentioned, it is Tenochtitlan, and it is actually modeled after the lost land of the Aztecs called Aztlan or Atitlan. And we see Aztlan, Atitlan, and now Plato's Atlantis. And we see Plato's concentric rings, and we see Tenochtitlan as model of Atlantis having almost the same layout. Even in Atlantis, there was a middle temple. And again, here in Tenochtitlan, we also have a temple in the middle. Also, 
like Atlantis, we I think we know about Atlantis a lot, but here in Aztlan, Aztlan means white land, and Atl in the Nahuatl, I think, language means water. So again, there are so many like nuances and like small similarities, but the number of them is so huge that it is beyond a mere coincidence. Yeah, and it it also seems like it Atlantis also became the prototype of these later writings about the utopian islands uh, uh bacon w- uh would write about one yeah what uh shakespeare's uh uh tempest might be considered another example but you know you, you get these uh, the ideal civilization on a island in the atlantic and, and, and you also get one in the pacific uh Lemuria as well. So you wrote uh, a good bit about the lost continent of Mu as well. So what was the uh, interaction between these two Mm -hmm. massive islands in uh, the Atlantic and Pacific. We didn't know much about it actually, but I found some similarities between different languages. There mm-hmm. are similarities, for instance, between the Rongorongo language of Easter Island and of the Mohenjo-Daro script. And mm-hmm. actually, we see that Mohenjo-Daro is one of the oldest city civilizations ever to exist on Earth, and also Mohenjo-Daro, because thinking of first civilizations we would think that they will just grow, that there would be a small settlement, then there would be more settlements, then there would be a bigger city, city, and then civilization. But actually, Mohenjo-Daro was planted at the beginning. It was already, from the beginning, just set, the streets were set up, and everything was like that. So it is also a mystery, like, from where this this plan come, and also who built it. And how could it be like the first civilization if it was already planned? This is a mystery. Also, this island is still a mystery. We've got those Moais. We don't know how they were built, who built them exactly. They're still mysterious. And even when it comes to Easter Island, we've got some megalithic blocks, megalithic walls on this island. And similar walls, almost exactly the same, can be found, for instance, in Peru, in, for instance, Sacsayhuaman or in Cusco, the famous megalithic mosaic. And I thought, okay, this is just, you know, a primitive method of just arranging rocks but still, why they were cut in such a precise manner, that is a mystery. But then I found that also in Peru, there was a culture called Chachapoya, who had a very similar stages to those of Moai, because Moai had a very specific like chins and very specific, specifically looking heads. They are humanoid, but they do not look exactly like humans. 
they are elongated, their heads are mm-hmm. elongated, their bodies are in different shapes. And actually, almost the same statue I found in Turkey, nearby Gobekli Tepe. And again, just like Moai have their arms around their bellies, the same was in Turkey. And also in Turkey, we had very similar eyes that are very wide open and very big and also the same like chin that is this that is very unnatural so i found three connections between gobekli tepe one of the oldest civilization not civilizations but one of the oldest sites known to us now peru and mysterious inca megalithic walls or pre-inca most probably then easter island and then again, Mohenjo-Daro, the first city civilization. So there was something to it, actually. Also, there are mentions, because about Mu, we know mostly from the codices and legends from Mesoamerica, of the Kichemaya or just Maya and other like minor tribes. And when it comes to this Mu of the Pacific Ocean, it was mentioned that it was the muddy moon, that it was very muddy, and then it was flooded, there was all, only mud, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And again, we've got Mesopotamia, in which we know that everything is made out of mud. We've got like clay bricks, mud bricks, and everything was made out of brick. And we've got legends that some teachers of mankind, probably those seven sages, thought humanity at that time the use of this mud and how to use it so again similar coincidences then i found out that for instance uh, archaeologist augustus leplongeon who is very controversial and he made some mistakes but again he found that the heretic script of the maya is similar to the heretic script of the ancient egyptian and is very 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 similar so i thought again a connection but we see that these are the connections in all of the cultures, almost all of the oldest cultures and some megalithic sites like the Gobekli Tepe. And there are some connections, maybe some minor, but there is a huge number of them. So what is it? Could it be that those teachers of mankind were really traveling all over the world and actually giving people in one place this thing, uh, teaching another people like megaliths and building of them, and teaching in another place in the world something different. And I found that really compelling to some extent because later in my book I describe some mysterious maps that are showing the entire world, including Antarctica, including the Beringia Strait, and many of the features that are connected to the end of the last ice age. And I thought, because on many of those maps there are mentions that they were inspired by some maps from Alexandria, from the lost library in Alexandria in, from the ancient times. And I thought, wait a minute, could this be that these maps are also some remnants of that knowledge of those people that traveled all, all around the globe? Later, I also found that there are plenty of evidence for the prehistoric measures of the Earth, because in the oldest monuments, there are encoded plenty of things like measuring the longitude, the latitude, and also the exact dimensions of our planet. And I thought that it isn't a coincidence that there were some people in the very ancient prehistory I don't know if it was during the Atlantean times or maybe a little bit later or maybe even at the, during the ancient times like 3000 BC, who knows. But there were some people that knew 
how our Earth looks like, that it is a globe, that it isn't flat, that there are some continents, they knew how the, those continents are located and where, and they knew the longitude and the latitude, and they knew the measures of our planet. So it was very fascinating to me. You know, we, we, we've you know, d- done se- several shows w- with a, a K. It gets the um, flying something that seems like it's a flying craft in front of uh, Moses wandering through the desert, and you, know, you get the uh, uh, in Joel, the book of Joel, where uh, the Earth is described as a sphere. So, yeah, how how do people know that for sure? Are that you know? Are they uh, flying? Are they figuring mm-hmm. out through the advanced math that you know you just mentioned? Yes, we have a. Uh, you also t- just touched on. <coughs> uh, are they are the ancient teachers traveling around the world uh, instructing people on how to build in stone. Mm-hmm. And in Deja Vu, you have chapters on uh, Egypt and uh, like uh, Pumupunku, uh, Easter Island. Okay, these are places that r- r- you, know, you can't walk to. Um, they're very far apart. So how is these the precision in working with huge stones? You know, just suddenly appearing in all these different cultures over time, and or you know, we can get into uh, heating rocks to have them fit in South American locations. Uh, it, it, you know, this is a, a really fascinating section of your book. Um, you want to go? <laughs> I don't. It, I don't. I don't know what kind of question I could uh, form out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, I can just speak yeah. a little bit and and explore it a little bit more for our yeah. listeners. There's a lot of science and math involved mm-hmm. with the, these people more than uh, uh, just you know the the, the basic thoughts of. <clears throat> You know what the mainstream would say, you know, j- just these cavemen yeah. guys who um, can just, you know, bang a couple rocks together. There's a lot of technology going on long ago. Mm-hmm. Yes, so 
we've seen plenty of similarities. I've been talking about that, that languages, mm. like s seven teachers of mankind and stuff like that. But even when we think of the megaliths, there are plenty of similarities between them. And I think that they are still beyond the mere coincidence. And actually, whenever we look, if we look at Europe, if we look at South America, and if we look at other places, even uh, on the very far east in Asia, like China and Japan, we see that all of these megaliths, or most of them, have some specific clamps that were joining these megaliths together. And most probably they used metals and just, you know, poured the metals into those holes between the megaliths and just joined them together. But these clamps are in a shape of a T, of a letter T, and they uh -huh. connect the megaliths. So I asked, really, was it just a coincidence that in many places all over the world, people use the same techniques to join those megaliths together. Oh, it, for me, it isn't a coincidence. And again, I found out that there are these huge blocks, like 100 plus tons, like in Saksaikwaman, there are those megalithic, like, I don't know, mosaics. And these megaliths are very, very huge. And they are connected that you even cannot put like a knife, you cannot insert a knife between them or even a sheet or pa of paper or a right. card. And actually, these are the biggest stones. They are polygonal and they had many of some, very, of some angles and they fit like a puzzle. And I thought, wait a minute, was it really the case that some, just some people boiled that because it was fun and it looked great? Or maybe was it something different? And I found out that almost the same megalithic architectural style can be found in Egypt. Even it has the same like knobs. And because there is this megalith, it is like plain megalith, but it has a knob. And these knobs probably were used to transport these blocks or for something else. But these knobs on these megaliths are also found all over the world. We find them in China, we find them in Egypt, in Greece, in Peru, and again in Easter, on Easter Island. And not only these knobs, not only this megalithic architecture, but also the setup of those stones, the arrangement. Again, we are, we are thinking here of the largest stones very cut, cut very tightly and fitting together like some puzzle. And we find it in Greece, we find them in Egypt, we find them in Peru, on Easter Island, uh, in China, and in some places uh, in Japan. And actually, is it a coincidence? And when I found a little bit about the history, about the mainstream view on these megaliths, it was shown that there were three main like layers of building throughout our history and as it turns as it turned out the oldest megalithic style was that of those huge block beyond any measure and of those fitting very tightly together like a mosaic like a puzzle and then we had some smaller blocks not fitting together as tight and then we had some very very small blocks sometimes with some clay or some concrete between them. And I thought, really, the most primitive people from the oldest times were building such, a gigantic, such gigantic structures. And then 
after hundreds, after thousands of years, we started building from those small blocks. Or maybe these biggest, these biggest monuments are the remnants of those lost civilizations, of those lost cultures, if they can be found all over the world, like those mentions, like also those mentions of these teachers of mankind. So I also found it fascinating that all over the world we can find a similar architectural design of those megaliths. Yeah, and yeah, speaking of these um, huge sculptures, um, you know, okay, the Easter Island would would be one example. You know, you also include a a drawing of uh, the Colossi of Memnon mm-hmm. in Egypt. Uh, okay, so. Are those two? Do you think those two sculptures are connected? Well, something. Are they monuments to some early uh, king? uh, You know, long before uh, the rise of you know the ancient Egypt, you know, the Pharaoh times of ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, how, how are they moving these huge mm-hmm. uh, blocks into place and creating these um, massive sculptures? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that those Colossi of Memnon are actually from the official chronology, from the Pharaonic times, because even we have some like sculptures that are showing that they were being moved by like hundreds of people. And actually when it comes to those Colossi of Memnon, they aren't that great, like for instance, the Great Pyramid of Giza or this megalithic mosaic at Sacsayhuaman. They are just some stages. They are of course huge and they are of course very heavy, but still they are in a shape that isn't that hard to actually move. For instance, it is much harder, in my opinion, to create a mosaic from also very heavy stones that are fitting together like Lego block, right? And I think that this, uh, this example of Colossi of Memnon is from the like chron- chronological times. Okay, and another uh, fascinating topic that y- you brought up is the measurement of the earth and mm-hmm. a lot of these ley lines and you know we've uh you know, like for example when uh, maria wheatley's been a guest uh she's uh discussed a lot of the ley lines across um england and mm-hmm. get uh a lot of the stone circles uh being built on the ley lines and then, you know, the medieval churches, uh, that doesn't seem like, you know, just a mere coincidence. Uh, you know, pe- people knew something about the, the, the land. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're in deja vu, you, you uh, are uh, putting forth 
of you know the idea of you know, uh, you know these ley lines or mm-hmm. you know the grids around the earth um but there are <clears throat> 12 uh triangles and you know they're laid out in the fibonacci sequence can, can can you explain a little bit about uh more of this mm-hmm. understanding of advanced math mm-hmm. i will start with the ancient or prehistoric measures of the earth because from the time of the publication of my book, I really extended this topic and I will write about it in my future books. And it is a really a great evidence for a very advanced knowledge in very, very distant times. We don't know if it was the pharaonic times or even much before that. And it is connected with what we were talking about a little bit earlier about those connections between some different cultures around the world, and Mm -hmm. those mysterious maps that are showing us the entire globe from the times before the end of the last ice age. And I think that it is all connected to each other. And now in my book, I am showing the Great Pyramid as a model of the Northern Hemisphere of the Earth. And it is because it is just a proportion. It isn't like just some metaphysical calculations to fit into this theory. But actually it is when you get the base of the grid pyramid and divide it by 43,200, which is 43200. And we know 432 is not a coincidental number, especially in modern spirituality, in modern research then you have the, the let's say, F medium-like, what it is called, Rovnik in Polish. <laughs> you know, these dimensions, if we take the height of the Great Pyramid, and if we take the base of the Great Pyramid, we have the exact measures of our own planet on the scale of 1 to 43,200. And for me, this number isn't coincidental because... It is a model of half the Earth. The pyramid is a model of half the Earth. And actually, 43,200, which is this proportion, is half of the day in seconds. So it is like half of the day, half of the pyramid. Like there is a connection between time and space. We've got half of the day, and we know that the Egyptians used 12 hours for night and 12 hours for day. And here we've got half of our planet. And there is much more to it, because when we see at the Egyptian qubit, when we see at the measures of our planet, there are many more coincidences, because the qubit can be actually fit, can actually fit into the S measurement, into the like longitudes and latitudes. And also I found later, not in my book, plenty of other things. For instance, Agatharchides of Knidos, had a legend, he was a Greek geographer, a Greek historian, had a legend, heard a legend at Egypt that the Great Pyramid is measured on the entire planet, on the Earth. So we've got a legend that is even telling us that Great Pyramid is actually a model of the Earth. And Agatharchides of Knidus heard some, like some puzzle that you have to take one eighth of the site and something like that. 
But when you calculate this puzzle that he's giving us, it, these are the exact measurements of our planet that we know today, not that we that were known to ancient Greeks of that time, but that we are in not that we are in possession today. So it is very incredible, and we've got some more connections between Egypt and the Great Pyramid, especially when it comes to the measures of the Earth. But as you mentioned, there are also those ley lines, and there are also some different alignments of main pyramids, of main buildings. That may not be coincidental, but it is a huge topic. But I think that we have a lot of evidence to point that in some very distant past, our ancient ancestors knew about the measurements of the Earth. Even when we, again, think of those similarities all over the planet and of the knowledge of our ancestors about different geographical locations, we've got, for instance, the Frigida pyramids aligned to the Orion Belt. And the same alignment can be found in Mexico, in Teotihuacan, and also in Xi'an in China. And I think that it is not a coincidence again. And again, when it comes to Mexico and Giza, we've got another connection because we've got three main pyramids at Giza and three main pyramids at Teotihuacan in Mexico. And the biggest one is the Great Pyramid of Giza. And the biggest one in Mexico is the uh, Pyramid of the Sun. And actually, the base of the Pyramid of Giza and the base of the Pyramid of Teotihuacan is almost the same. Like there is some percentage error, but those bases of those biggest pyramids are also the same. And they are aligned with two other pyramids to the same Orion belt. And again, the height of the <coughs> Pyramid of the Sun is half of the height of the Great Pyramid. I think that it couldn't be a coincidence, that it is beyond any of our comprehension and that there is much more to antiquity. But when it comes to the ley lines, I found an interesting idea, an interesting theory that I provided in my book about the earth crystal, that there are those triangles like the Bermuda triangles on which there are some electromagnetic anomalies. And actually during like 70s, 1970s, Russian scientists thought of a theory that our planet is a large crystal in the shape of a dodecahedron and icosahedron. Dodecahedron has 12 sides, that's why 12 triangles, and icosahedron has 20 sides. And these are the platonic solids, and even from the antiquity, they were very well known to our ancestors. And even Plato, in one of his dialogues, I think it was Phaedrus, in Phaedrus, Plato is telling us that the Earth, when seen from the sky, looks like a giant dodecahedral, like some ball. So like a ball that has 12 sides, like a large dodecahedron that is like a ball. So it may be a great analogy to that crystal that is inside of our planet and which is actually giving us those ley lines. Because if the center of our planet really was a crystal like that, these, this, crystal, this crystalline interior could actually make some electromagnetic anomalies, cause some electromagnetic anomalies and even those ley lines to happen. And I think that it is that it can be the case that our planet is inside something much more than we have ever thought it is. So that's why there are those ley lines. 
And these ley lines also were well-known for antiquity. They were called Lung Mei dragon paths in China. They were called here ley lines in Europe. This is a very interesting topic. And also what I found out by reading David Wilcock, a great researcher, was that some of the planets in our solar system and some of the moons of those planets could also be based on some platonic solids on those polyhedra, like a tetrahedron, like cube. And we see some of these patterns, for instance, in the arrangement of winds on Jupiter. And we may speculate that these winds are arranged in some manner because Jupiter is inside a large polygonal mass, that there is something more than just gas to Jupiter. So there are plenty of mysteries and it is all connected to ancient knowledge because even these 432, like we've got today 432 hertz, we've got 432 as some vibration and some other spiritual metaphysical stuff, but in antiquity it was also uh, connected to the precession of the equinoxes, a special cycle of our planet that lasts for 25,920 years. And this cycle was known all around the world in many ancient cultures. And processional numbers, especially numbers 432 and 72, which are based on this phenomenon, this astronomical phenomenon, were well known everywhere. I think that there are like 432 and some zeros hymns in Rig Veda. There are 432 and some zeros like lines in Rig Veda. It's all 432. Again, 432, divided by 3 is 108, and 108 is another secret number. So there are some codes encoded in myths, legends, and as we see even in the monuments like the Great Pyramid that are waiting to be discovered. And I think that we are doing a good job in connecting those dots that we can be closer and closer to truth. Yeah, and speaking of this, you know, math that goes you know way back in uh, <clears throat> uh time you, know, you also cover you know, even in the bible there's like the 144,000 mm-hmm. that are yeah. going to be sa- okay so we have okay you know that's going back uh you know a couple thousand uh years but it, it's still showing that the ancients were using math or had an understanding of math to um, teach us you know, uh, lessons about ourselves, the earth, you know, mm-hmm. uh, many yeah. com- you know, a comprehensive view of uh, you know hu- humanity. So, ha- how does uh, <clears throat> some of your research fit into the Bible? I think that Bible is very interesting, and it is also about the interpretation of the Bible that matters. Because, in my opinion, there are two versions of the Bible. To like. The two interpretations of this Bible, 
we've got the exoteric that is taught to the like casual people that is taught to the charge that there was Adam and Eve that everything happened like that that God created in seven days blah 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 and stuff mm-hmm. like that and there right. is also an esoteric part like all those stories are not just like stories that it was like that in reality but these stories are encoding some metaphysical some universal truths languages and codes that can be deciphered if we look like that it is the same with some alchemical and magical treatises of the middle ages they were also encoded in like normal language in normal in casual stories there is a story there is the ending and stuff like that but this story can be like just read and thought okay interesting story but it can also be analyzed more deeply and there could be plenty of metaphors and codes that are encoded in those stories and i think the same is in the bible like even in the ancient times no platonists gnostics even hermetists tried to interpret those stories like the genesis and other stories from the bible in the spiritual, metaphysical, universal, philosophical manner. And I think that there are plenty of codes that Bible shouldn't be interpreted literally, because if we interpret it right. literally, you know, it isn't, it isn't showing us the facts. We know some facts that stand in contradiction with the Bible. But when we think of it metaphorically, these other facts, could be actually something completely different. These are like stories with some encoded messages. Yeah, I, I've heard that too. You need to have some training, you know, supervision when you read the Bible to understand when you should take something literally and when you should uh, see it as symbolic or you know, metaphorically. Uh, you know, you're another researcher who uh, m- makes that very important point. So I, uh, I, I do like what you're uh, saying there. You know, probably like the book of revelation is probably the mm-hmm. best example of looking at um reading knowing when to read the bible as metaphors and uh, not to take it literally but uh, you know we'll, we'll say that for another mm-hmm. show but, yeah that's too much yeah but uh you know, I, I want uh, you know, uh, touch touch on some other topics. You know, just to give the listeners, um, you know, the yeah, you know, the broad scope that you uh, present in Deja Vu. Um, but yeah, you know, we've uh, touched a, a little bit on. You know, so some of the um, medieval um, <clears throat> structures, but uh, an, an, another uh, topic you bring up, you know, during that uh, 
you know, medieval or early you know, modern time is the uh, Perry Reese map, and yeah, that and that's a really fascinating subject in itself. Uh, you know, Barbara and uh, Mary Joyce have you know discussed all this. Uh, uh, the structures on Antarctica, you know, what was <clears throat> going on long ago in Antarctica? And it's, it, yeah, this information is kind of showing up on the Perry Reese map as well as some uh, early – and that's – it's based mm-hmm. on earlier maps. Uh, can, mm-hmm. can you uh, delve into that for – you know, a, a little bit as well. Yes, the map of Spiraris is very interesting because it is even signed behind it. And on the back side of the map, there are information about certain sites and what these are. And there's an information there that this map is based on some earlier maps, probably maps from ancient Alexandria, because of some researchers like Charles Habgood uh, found that that the previous map is based on the ancient techniques it is like a mixture mixture of the Renaissance techniques of mapping and projecting certain continents and to some extent on the ancient maps. So most probably it was to some extent based on some maps from uh, the Library of Alexandria most probably because in Alexandria mm-hmm. there were the biggest discoveries, you know, even the Eratosthenes who supposedly measured the Earth first. But even as a famous mathematician, Pierre Simon de Laplace mentioned, most probably Eratosthenes, as a head director of the Library of Alexandria, just used previous knowledge and just make another experiment to show that the measures are, are X and Y. So most probably he wasn't the first also. And at Alexandria, there was a huge amount of knowledge from Egypt, because it was in Egypt, from Greece from the Macedon, from the Persia, from Babylonia, and even some things from India. So it was a very great place to be a scholar. And when it comes to the Pre-Race, in my book, I showed some criticism of it and some like points that are showing that it isn't just a coincidence or it isn't just a normal map. And I think that Pre-Race map in some places is very inaccurate and in some places really shows us stupid things like islands which are totally square. Well, island is a square. So there are stuff like that or rectangles. But there are also stuff on the previous map that are very controversial, like some descriptions of some places that according to researchers are the depictions of Antarctica that Purish is commenting on that there at those places the sun sets for like six hours or something like that, or there is all, almost all night. So stuff like something very close to the South Pole and actually not like South America because in South America, there aren't such fluctuations between night and day. There are also plenty of other similar maps like Orontes Venus, like Mercator and some other. And what is interesting when you think of other maps that are not showing Antarctica, but are showing like Northern Hemisphere, like are showing Asia, Europe, or America, that most of these maps are showing specific features. 
like the Beringia Strait, which connected Asia and North America and Alaska, mm-hmm. and some of some specific some specific like islands that are specific to the time before the last ice age. And who knows if before the last ice age, Antarctica was in the green. According to modern sciences, it was like 800,000 years since it was green or even 2 million. But you know, these are just some estimations. We do not know how our, uh, how our Earth was changing, how climate was fluctuating. And what is interesting, because I was digging some older books, about the history of geological thought. And what I found out was really fascinating, that before the Ice Age theory, that there are some glacials, and there is the Ice Age, there is no Ice Age, right? Before that theory, there was a theory that all of those stones, all of those rivers, and all of those other geological features were caused by some floodings, by some floods. And it's interesting, because could it be that, of course, there were ice caps somewhere on Earth, but could it be that it was mostly about the flood? And even in Poland, there are plenty of post-glacial evidence, like there are, it is called morenas, like special geologic features on our land, and there are plenty of it. There are some stones that are mentioned, like gigantic boulders that are mentioned to be moved by glacials. But could it be that some of that was actually caused by water? Even nowadays, there is like a combination of those theories that these melting waters from the glaciers caused many of those features. So I think that when it comes to the ice age and floodings, there is still a lot to discover. And how can we know that much about the geology and such deep history of our planet? I think that we are too ignorant to actually, like some researchers and conventional scholars, to exclude any possibility of the Great Flood or of lost ancient civilizations. I think that we shouldn't be that arrogant that we know everything, because how can we know what happened 10 or 100,000 years ago? Actually, as I mentioned, we didn't know anything about ancient Mesopotamia just 250 years ago. It was all discovered like in 1840s or something like that. And before mm-hmm. that, we knew almost nothing of Sumeria, of Babylonia. And we had all dimensions. We had dimensions, of course, of Babylonia. We have mentions of different cities in Sumeria. But we're totally ignorant of that. So I think that the same situation, to some extent, could be with those lost civilizations like Atlantis, Mu, and stuff like that. But we think that, oh, these are just tales because... We just haven't found anything like that yet. But who knows what we will find in the future. The, you know, you're in <clears throat> Central Europe, you know, far away from Egypt and Cusco, you know, all the places in Peru. How did you get so interested be, being you know, gr- growing up so far removed from you know, the you know, major hotspots of, <clears throat> of you know, these ancient places, or does uh, Poland actually have uh, some of these clues? I, I, we were going to have a guest on uh, a few months ago who. 
um, has a really neat chapter on um, uh, Templar history at a, a Polish castle it, just due to the uh, technology of his area he uh we weren't able to do the show but i i was uh i remember <clears throat> that that was a uh fascinating chapter he had in his book uh but do you, it, does poland have a lot of these uh remnants of ice age or some mm-hmm. of these kind of mysteries that uh it drew mm-hmm. you to uh, being so passionate about, uh, you know, our antiquity. Mm-hmm. Yes, in Poland there are many of the remnants of the Ice Ages and stuff like that, but there isn't much of like ancient excavations or megaliths. There are some, but not many. It isn't that interesting like Egypt or Peru. But I've been always wondering. I've been always like exploring the world. And I, you know, I was always good at school, like primary school, middle school, high school and stuff like that. But I was always, I was always asking different questions because Mm -hmm. Most of most of kids, most of the people were just learning stuff by heart, you know, to pass the exams, or were just asking if uh, they didn't know a thing that was very important to their exams. But I was always asking some some different questions. How do we know about that? What was first? I've been always wondering about like the biggest secrets of our universe because i've grown up like in a very like scientific with a very scientific mind and very scientific view of the world i was watching a lot of scientific stuff reading a lot conventional of course and i've been always wondering because in the scientific paradigm everything is meaningless we are just some speck of dust there is no meaning everything is random and I thought, wait a minute, is it really so? Because everyone was thinking like of meaninglessness. Everything is meaningless, we have no purpose, we have no meaning, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I thought that people who are like that are very depressed, are very sad, are very angry, are very frustrated, are sometimes very jealous and are not like living their lives to the fullest. So I thought, because in my life I had plenty of meaning, but of course all of that dogma tried to like catch me. But I had plenty of meaning in my life, so I thought, what is this meaning? What is this meaning that in in the modern world full of chaos, full of like lack of purpose, full of senselessness and stuff like that, what is that meaning? And I thought that by understanding about our origins, about understanding what was our past exactly about understanding? What is the universe, how it works? What are metaphysical stuff? Like I had an open mind and I always thought that by researching that, we can not only find meanings for ourselves to live, like because if we have no meaning, even from an evolutionary perspective, we like, you have no meaning, you cannot survive because 
you know, that is evolution, right? You always have to have some purpose, some goal, like to go for another stuff of food, of food etc. But w- when you are living min- in meaninglessness, you are just depressed because it is a natural function of your brain. So I thought that by understanding the most, like the biggest, like mysteries of the universe, we could actually find a purpose, not only for ourselves, but also for others. So that's why I'm also researching some metaphysical stuff, spiritual stuff, and of course the ancient civilizations, because I think that it can help our world. And we have, in my opinion, a pandemic, not of some, like of some depression, even not in my opinion of those digital information, but we have the pandemic of meaninglessness and lack of purpose. And that's the biggest threat in our society. And by doing what we are doing now, we can actually help and heal that wounds and actually help and expand and transform our society. I think with what you said earlier in the show about uh, just say, uh, you know, with the handbag motif and the artwork or, uh, you know, the other examples of pyramids uh, being found uh, (coughs) built to about the same dimensions at very distant parts of the world. Um, I think you make a a great point that uh, everything in the universe is connected. If, you know, you you do one thing, there's going to be some kind of reaction over here. It, it's um, ref- refreshing to see what you are writing about and discussing on your uh, videos and uh, looking at all these possibilities instead of going approaching uh, uh, the study of prehistory or you know, deep antiquity uh, with, with a closed mind about this is the, the way it was, and we, we just aren't going to talk about the handbags. It, it's, we don't understand it, or you know, giants, you know, you know whatever topic, and yeah. You know, uh, we, you know, we just ignore it, and maybe people won't focus on yeah you know, the, the, those subjects. You know, like the, you know the, the these like you know teas that go Beckley Tepe. You know, they're in, in a circle, and maybe Stonehenge is you know it's kind of a variation of that. But you know, you have the uh, you know, pillar holding up the horizontal uh, stones. Uh, does that show some kind of uh, similar cultural designs? Maybe oh. yes, but oh. but I think Stonehenge isn't like that enigmatic like the Gobekli Tepe, and this much. I think that it is much also more it is much more recent than Gobekli Tepe. Gobekli Tepe, this is a true mystery. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I, you know, Stonehenge doesn't have the carvings of the extinct mm-hmm. animals on it that Gobekli Tepe has. Uh, you know, I I think that's fascinating in itself. What you know, mm-hmm. did, are they some of the uh, uh, before you know they had to. Uh, bury this monument uh, were they some of the last people to see some of these animals mm-hmm. before they went extinct mm-hmm. yes the same with like the comet depiction that it's very similar mm-hmm. to a comet strike also on one of the pillars from the Gabaki right. Tepe yeah well, you know so is that comet documentation about you know the younger driest <coughs> uh comet you know what what are your views on that mm-hmm. yes it may be because the dates are very similar to that and we must remember that we only know the date of the gabekli tepe because it was buried because we cannot date any inorganic materials like the stones so the only way we know that Gobekli Tepe is from that age because we measured some carbon that was with this mud with this sand that was that Gobekli Tepe was covered with. So we dated these like remains and we know from what age Gobekli Tepe is. But who knows if it isn't a little bit older than that? It could be the case. And again, we do not know much about who were the builders of Gebekli Tepe, and we also know much what happened at the end of the last ice age. We do not know if it was a comet strike, like the Younger Dryas impact hypothesis, or maybe some other kind of a catastrophe. But that comet strike may seem very legitimate, and I think that mm-hmm. it may be a true comet strike. Yeah, the, uh, uh, I... I I've been really fascinated by analyzing the artwork and you know, the comets. One example: the uh, fish, fish people. We talked about towards the end or the beginning of the show. It's there is truth about our history in the artwork are, are we interpreting it correctly I, and I'm, i might be open for debate but th- there's something there uh there's mm-hmm. you know a backstory that you know we may partially understand or you know, maybe we're actually interpreting it correctly but there's something (coughs) to the artwork why are they spending that much time Mm -hmm. carving uh you know the handbags and making it making them look so realistic in the hands of these uh you know the figures that are carrying them I, i I think you're really on to something. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and, and we're 
we're approaching about the end of the show because I have to uh, go to my uh, job, and it's about your your dinner time too. So how, how about if we uh, kind of wrap up this discussion now? Uh, I think there's plenty of information that uh, we haven't gotten into, and we can continue the conversation uh, sometime soon. I think Barbara already has <laughs> she's scheduled. She's already fascinated by uh, what you've been discussing, and you know, uh, <coughs> um, how, how about if you give everyone all your uh, you know ways they can uh, get your book and uh, watch, mm-hmm. watch your uh, YouTube uh, videos and any websites anything like that and uh, we'll call it a day uh, and we'll uh, continue the discussion sometime soon yes everyone on the internet is telling me that they know me very well because they cannot spell my surname. So they already know that it is me. You know, something like my surname is showing up to them. But Alexander Tushkevich and everywhere, Deja V has everything already been on the Amazon, almost on the entire globe. Also Alexander Tushkevich on Facebook, Alexander Tushkevich Global on YouTube, and Alexander Tushkevich Global on Instagram. All right, that sounds great, and it, it, it's uh, you, you know I highly recommend you, your uh, deja vu and uh, YouTube videos to the uh, listeners. Of, you know, fascinating reading. You did a great job researching and connecting all these uh, places. Uh, it, it's just a um, a book that our listeners would you know really enjoy, and we will resume the uh, discussion sometime in the near future. And I think Barbara's looking at having you come back in October. So um, I just want to thank thank you for uh, being our guest today, and thanks Barbara for. Um, producing the show and we will uh see everyone i think in two two weeks ago uh i have a, a great true crime show coming up on the 11th with uh daniel stash hour and you know barbara has some great shows lined up as well so um <coughs> Thanks, everyone, uh, for tuning in. Have a great week, and we will talk to everyone soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye.